Good day, fellow investors. Welcome to the Modern Value Investing Podcast with Sven Karlin, where we compound investment returns as well as investment knowledge in order to help you achieve your financial goals. Okay, guys, how's it all going? Uh, nice to be back with Sven Karlin. I think this is the third time that I've been that I've had the opportunity to talk with Sven. So I always like talking with Sven because he's just upfront and he's a good quality value investor and uh he's one of the bigger the bigger value investors on youtube maybe the the biggest do you know how many subscribers are you at now sven about two hundred twenty thousand. do you do you follow like subscriber counts or do, does that not worry you really not really because i think it's more about the quality of the subscriber than uh other i've seen some channels that exploded two years ago and now they publish a video they have 500 views so uh, yeah and you you've been consistent you consistently decent views so i think that's yeah yeah, very happy about that which means that i deliver value that is expected and i'm happy with that yeah exactly so with the way you kind of do content you're more likely to have longevity basically that's what i hope yeah, well, it's been working well for you anyway. So in this interview, I was kind of, I kind of wanted to get into a couple of sort of of the biggest stocks, which I guess a lot of people are kind of interested in just to get your take on, on those stocks. And then I wanted to just flick a couple of other, other questions about, I don't know, what's been going on in the banking sector and interest rates and just get a feel for what you're thinking with regards to that. Perfect. So we'll just start with uh, Meta stock, uh, Facebook, as it was a yeah. year ago or whatever. And this is a pretty interesting one because it, it fluctuates a lot in price. And I know a lot of stocks do fluctuate and they're quite volatile, but Meta is just so up and down, especially over the past year, past two years. I mean, a year ago, it was at $230 and then it went down to $90, like, I don't know, three months ago or something. And now it's back up to 210. So I just wanted to get a feel for what you think on the volatility of Meta stock, but also if you have a sort of intrinsic value of your thought from you for Meta stock. So uh, revenues and uh, net income and uh, advertisement income slowed down a little bit over the last eight, nine months. And that was the first factor that crashed the stock. And the second factor was that Mark announced how he's going all in on his metaverse. Mm. And uh, he will spend 30 billion uh, every single penny that the company has on the metaverse. And that is exactly when the stock hit that bottom of 90, because everyone thought that the business is slowing down and then we are betting everything on Mark's crazy idea. As the stock went down, in the next conference call, immediately Mark changed his speech and started talking about cash flow, about profits, about optimization, and how he will spend less on the metaverse. So he sucked up to Wall Street, he followed what analysts wanted, and lo and behold, the stock is doubled or 130% since the bottom. 
However, my opinion is it's still the same business. It just costs now twice more than it was costing four months ago. Nothing has really intrinsically changed except for spending 4 billion less on the metaverse. So not 30, but 26 or 22. The business, when I look at the business, I see a lot of weakness because people are spending, I think, less time on Facebook and uh, I practically don't even spend time there. But if you scroll through your Facebook feed, there are more and more advertisements, more sneaky advertisements. Usually it was written sponsorship and now it's not an advertisement. Now it says suggested for you. The number of advertisements, I think, went up <laughs> very much. So they are trying to keep that cash flow. They are squeezing the last penny out of it. But I think people are feeling, and I think the average age there on Facebook is 60 now. Instagram likely 40, and the youngers are at TikTok or something like that. So there is weakness. They will try to milk the the cash cow as long as possible. And then the bet is on the metaverse. The only thing here is valuation. If I'm betting at a P ratio of 10, like it was four months ago, it's a different bet than now with a P ratio of 25. So I expect the stock will continue to be volatile. There will be bad quarters. Then they will try to engineer improved numbers to push the stock up because they have the stock options. They benefit from higher stock prices. So uh, it's all a game. Unfortunately for Facebook, it's becoming a Wall Street game. And when a company starts to think about what Wall Street thinks, then it's usually a red flag. So do you think maybe Zuckerberg and the management team are focusing too much on what Wall Street think as opposed to the long-term underlying business of Meta? I think they are trying to please Wall Street and then they are focusing on the metaverse because they know that this business as it is now will not last. That's why they tried to promote the metaverse as the solution to the not lasting business. But that backfired because then people said, okay, your business is not working and the metaverse is just a bet. We have no idea how the metaverse will look in five years, whether you will dominate or not. And if all the young people are leaving, then, and that is the source of the domination down the road, then uh, it's riskier and riskier. And do you really think their underlying business model was kind of fading away with with Facebook and Instagram and people are actually going to move long-term to the likes of TikTok like over the next 10 years? Like how likely is that of happening? Or Because TikTok has its problems too. Like I, I don't know about you, but I personally hate TikTok. Like I, I can't go I don't use it. I don't know yeah. what's going on there, but I think... Uh, everyone has now a smartphone and uh, things like that. The thing is that our time on how much we are going to use is limited. And everyone is com competing for that time. We yeah. are now making a video for YouTube, for a podcast, and we are competing for your attention. Then you have Facebook, you have this, you have that, you have 
so many of these apps and there will be new things coming constantly that are competing constantly for your attention. And the main driver of profits and revenue is your attention because mm-hmm. where there is your attention, there will the advertisement be. Mm. And it's just extremely competitive. That's the, the situation. And there is more and more content all over the place. Yeah. But you got to say Facebook, at least in the past, have been very dominant on on with regards to that, getting people's attention and just that platform of being able to communicate with other people. People have seemed to love it. I do agree with you with what you've been with what you said about Facebook. Like the more I go on the platform, yeah, I can't go on it for kind of more than 10 minutes because it just gets annoying. And after 10 minutes of doing whatever, then you get more into this content that you don't even really want to see, like more sponsored posts and reels and stuff like that. I like to go on Facebook for like maybe once a day for like 10 minutes, just get a quick thing to see some photos or whatever. But yeah. I can't spend too long on there. And I, I agree. Yeah, they are posting. Yeah. I think that they seem to be posting more sort of sponsored posts. And it seems anyway, from, for me, it does seem less user-friendly. Uh, I mean, it's, it's still there. It still has the users and everything, but it is the question, how much can you grow on that base that you have? Because if, if you have peaked, then you deserve a P ratio of 10. If you're still growing and you will double over the next five yeah. years, you deserve a P ratio of 20, 25. Yeah. But the key question is, can Facebook double on what it has now? Of course, people use WhatsApp, but it's free, free of advertisement, free of anything else. Hmm. And if you change that, someone else will offer the same yeah. for yeah. free. True. Because That's why they are not monetizing it. Do you think someone else will be able to offer just like, how do these businesses make money then? Like, let's just say if WhatsApp was a a pure standalone business, how do they just offer it for free? As long as they have investors uh, willing to put in money and growing and hoping that they can sell it at a good price to somebody else, Mm. then uh, it, it works. For example, the Western world uses WhatsApp, but if you go to Croatia, nobody uses WhatsApp. Mostly they use Viber or some other com- competition. Yeah. So it's very interesting how quickly a community can switch to something else. Hmm. And I, as I was telling you earlier, I'm in Thailand right now. And in Thailand and in Southeast Asia, they all use Lime. And in China, I think they use some other Chinese platform or whatever so yeah that's interesting i mean i i saw recent i mean i just remember reading that facebook have 3.7 billion users and it comes then i think about the law of big numbers like how how much can they keep going up if they double then that's like they've got the entire population using their platform um yeah but there is not that many have uh, iPhones and smartphones exactly. and things like that. So they can grow a little bit, but with these apps, it's a very quick trend. You are there, but very quickly somebody else can take your position yeah. if you are not careful with it. True. Just like how Facebook took the one before Facebook when I was young was a thing called Bebo. And yeah, Facebook overtook Bebo in like a year, just like the, yeah, everyone yeah. moved to Facebook. That's true. I, it's very, very hard to 
to tell how yeah how long their useful life is for the for the platform but and so let's, let's say facebook was selling like so when you try measure an intrinsic value on the stock how do you think that through something like facebook like i'm trying to see okay what are the what kind of value are, are you delivering to me as a shareholder mm. And then when it comes to Facebook, yes, they make their 20, 30 billion per year still. But then the question is, okay, if you are investing all that into the metaverse, can I be sure that the metaverse will be worth 500 billion in seven years? Yeah. Because now we are talking about Facebook and competition for the attention on the apps, but here we are talking about competition for the whole metaverse. Who will win there? Now we have new competitors, Apple, Google, who knows who will enter that game and how will that go? It's it's playing a lot with consumer preferences and that is always risky. When something is risky, you want it at a fair valuation or with a margin of safety. And there comes the risk and reward valuation, 10, 25, 50, and that's a big difference from an investing perspective, of course. Yeah. So were you liking the stock when it was at $90 a share? I think I made a video saying how it is too cheap. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, now it is the same business from that valuation risk and reward. It was cheap then. Now it's not that cheap anymore. Okay, well, let's move on to Alphabet stock. And the big thing that a lot of investors are talking about Alphabet stock is this new chat GPT that's come out. And Microsoft have their associations with chat GPT and they've come out and they've sort of renovated Bing, Bing, which is a Google competitor, uh, trying to use chat GPT and AI to make a better search search platform so what do you think of sort of google's business model the search business model and microsoft trying to compete and take some market share from them the same as we discussed with facebook and the metaverse there is always something someone wanting your business and with these technologies developing faster and faster there will always be someone going after uh, after Google or something like that. And of course, Microsoft sees that and they try to get to the 20, 30, 40 billion. They try to get a share of that pie of profits. So uh, Google, from my perspective, wasn't interested in launching something like that, even if they had it made already, because it would destroy the business they already had, yeah. which is ads google ads and how they make money on their ads if they give you something directly without those ads they don't make money so they would destroy themselves at first at the start or it will take a few year to, years to make it google chat gpt profitable and so microsoft took the advantage and made the first step and uh, i haven't tested bing so I will have to check if it works. But yeah. if it is better, simpler and everything, then people might start again going there. And then there is again this fight of attention. Where will we look, search and spend 
our money, get our advertisement referrals. So it's a very interesting game. And the more there is unknown things, the higher is the risk when it comes to investing. So do you know, like, what do you think the likelihood is of sort of being doing well? Was that just too hard to tell? Like, how well do you think Google could maintain their search uh, revenue over the next 10 years? These things uh, develop or stay latent and nothing happens, and then they could suddenly explode. Yeah. So it is impossible to predict the future. When it comes to Google, again, if you look at Wall Street estimates, uh, the earnings per share are now 4.5, and Wall Street estimates still that Google will double its earnings per share in the next five to seven years. So uh, 10% growth is, that's what's priced in Google stock price. But with the competition, with maybe a recession, less spending on advertisement or something like that, it might not happen. And then you'll find yourself with an overvalued stock. True. Yeah, because in, in a recession, one of the things, the expenses that companies will cut out is their advertising budget, right? And that's how... Yeah. Google make most of their money. And then if Microsoft or somebody else comes with something new where it then takes away the search that you are doing, that's even more of a risk. Mm -hmm. And the other businesses are still small. The Google bets, not, they don't make money. Yeah. I think also YouTube doesn't make much money. It is, it, it is increasing revenues but I don't know if it, it, or it was just profitable this year or something like that. <laughs> They've only just made YouTube profitable. What have they been spending their money on? I 15 years it took to make YouTube profitable. Jeez. That's, I... that's, that's how it works. You need to invest, invest, invest. And then hoping mm. that one day you will get traction and you will get that moat around it. Yeah. And then some, something new comes and you can lose everything. That's the tech world. Yeah, That's yeah. one of the reasons why Buffett never invested. Yeah. To build a long-term technology moat. I don't know. They even know how that, how you'll be able to do that. Uh, it depends on what industry because, you're in and all of that. Because that's it. You're building a technology moat and then the smartest people are in the tech sector and they are yeah. all going after you. So do you, like to invest in these tech businesses or do you only want to invest in like something like Alphabet, Google, when it gets a, a very, very low price? Now I have recently been in that situation where, okay, I have three uh, portfolios that I run and one is a demo portfolio diversified where I try to have 20 good ideas and then source something for me there. And then I was looking, okay, should I buy Google now at around 100 for this diversified portfolio? Because I was thinking yeah. the P ratio is 22 for a company like Google is very low. But then I, I looked at the earnings declining already over the last year, about uh, from $6 to 4.5, which is a big decline. And then I'm thinking analysts estimate, okay, that was just one year, pandemic benefits, and then now we go back up. And then I'm thinking, what if we don't go back up? Then mm. it's simply too risky. So I would then again wait. And then it's always about comparing. You have 
the big tech companies or something else that might mm-hmm. be cheaper. And then you see what what better fits you. So I uh, I dabbled a little bit. I invested in Facebook, traded it a few times over the last few years. And uh, I think that's it, just Facebook. But it's all about that growth. And now I'm not smart enough to predict what kind of growth will be ahead there. Yeah, so it can be a very tough one to determine. And a lot of it can depend on the macro, especially with these tech companies that rely on advertising revenue. If the macro is down, then they're probably going to struggle a lot. But in the late stages of a bull cycle, when there's a lot of cash floating about, then they tend to make a lot of money, I'm sure. And especially if everyone is locked down at home and getting free money from uh, yeah. the government to spend online, then they surely benefit. Yeah, to spend online and yeah, and spend their time online too, their attention. Yeah. They've got nothing else to do but YouTube or Google or Facebook. So I'm sensing, it's just my gut feeling that it might not be as Wall Street expects over the next three to five years. Because what Wall Street expects going forward is what is priced in the stock. And if Wall Street expects a double and then it doesn't materialize, then it can get ugly for the business. So Mm -hmm. I think I said, I will look again at Google when the stock price is at 50. 50. 50, yeah, 50% down. And then follow, I don't know, 20, 30 businesses or more. If one of those hits something interesting and usually if you follow 20 businesses every year something will hit an interesting level and that's it that's all you need for investing oh is that what you do do you only um, do you only follow like 20 to 30 businesses and then just wait for something that hits like 20 to 30 Uh, on your watch list i think i'm now about 17 businesses that i really like from a business perspective and okay these are businesses that have an advantage have been around are growing are focused to their niche and at the right price those businesses are very interesting i see 17 was it something like that i'm constantly researching and trying to enlarge that uh, list of good businesses yeah because you obviously be studying a lot more than 17 but it's just those 17 are the ones that you seem to just like in terms of the actual business right yeah uh, for example we are talking about cash uh, tech businesses it's very exciting google uh, facebook amazon but one of the businesses i follow is for example amsterdam commodities Mm. it's a 200 year old business that trades spices so the pepper that you put on your food. And yeah. if you are a smart person, you say, okay, I'm going to work for Google. Nobody is saying, oh, I'm going to trade spices across the globe. But mm. how? what's more necessary, the tech or the spice and the nutmeg and this that you put on your food? What is more stable, more predictable? The spices. Yeah. Do you know where to buy a hundred kilos of pepper? No, they do. And no, but there is not so much competition. I and see. then that's a stable business. You can you can much easier, it's much easier to predict those cash flows going forward. Yeah. And then I follow businesses like that, niche businesses, very entrenched businesses in their niche sector. 
and it's much easier for me to predict cash flows and know at what price yeah. those will be cheaper. If there is a crisis in Europe, all stocks go down. But this is a company that doesn't depend on Europe because people will still eat, trade, and they make a margin on the trade. And that's how they make business. So that's a business model that has a long-term enduring advantage over others while compared to, let's say, Google at the P ratio of 22, I prefer this, let's say, if it falls at a P ratio of 10. Mm-hmm. And there's also probably less analysts watching that particular stock compared to Google, which is quite helpful in terms of prices, right? Yeah, and, and then analysts have to always be bullish. They have to uh, justify why the investment bank is telling you, yes, buy Google, buy this. And if they tell you, oh, there is this 1 billion, comp- 1 billion euro company in Amsterdam trading nutmeg, you don't get excited. But uh, from mm. a value investing perspective, it's much easier. And how do you think about that in terms of, because you also, part of your job is to make content too. And people are more excited about the bigger companies like Apple and all of them, Google, but often the opportunity is in those more niche companies. So how do you think about that in terms of just making uh, content too? Uh, I try to make both. For example, one of my last videos uh, from yesterday discusses the top 10 SAP 500 stocks. Yes, yeah. And then a few videos before, I was discussing uh, Italian companies, niche companies with a few hundred million um, in market capitalization. And then I give, I try to give both, mm. and uh, I cannot tell people what to watch, what's better. These mm. niche videos are much less viewed. But again, these niche videos, I think, are the highest value that I can give. And for those people that want to watch, the videos are there. Mm, I see. Yeah, because yeah, sometimes that's something I ask myself. But I do actually probably consider myself more of a content creator than... Uh, like, I'm not managing a hedge fund or anything like that, so... Yeah, I probably do. I do provide more content around the biggest sort of stocks. And then I just try and make good, useful, truthful information on that. I mean, I can't really do the more niched topics um, all the time just because that's kind of my job is more around the, the bigger, the bigger names. Bigger names, more views, more interest, and uh, even YouTube will, will then promote more uh, yeah. the bigger names. If you do a video on Apple, I think it likely gets hundreds of thousands of searches a oh, day. Yeah. If you do a video on Amsterdam commodities, maybe five people searched it. But I am more interested in those five people that search something like that than mm-hmm. in the thousands that search Apple. Mm. all uh, the hundreds of thousands of people that are searching when's the market gonna crash if the market or something like that. of course i always try i have to also please youtube so yeah, uh, yeah, i haven't yeah. done a crash video in a while but i'll try <laughs> to do it but then i always try to revert to 
the investing fundamentals and I'd what say. always works. And yeah. uh, maybe it catches with someone, maybe not, but uh, hmm. slow and steady and that's how we go. Yeah, that's worked well for you so far anyway. So let's well, move on to another big name stock, which is Apple, which is uh, Warren Buffett's largest position by quite some time. He was buying, I believe it was around 30 to $50. Right now, now Apple is $165 a share. And it's one of those few stocks that hasn't really crashed much over the past sort of three months, six months or whatever. Uh, how do you view Apple stock? Well, Apple is now the market capitalization is 2.5 trillion. And I think it makes more than 6% of the S&P 500 index. So automatically as people are putting money in the index, the most of the money goes into Apple stock. Plus, the company has decided to all the cash flow they make, they, I think the 13% of it is paid in dividends and everything else is into buybacks to push the stock even higher. So it's all about the financial engineering around that stock. And as long as there is money, such a strategy works well. As you can see, the stock went from 30 to 160. I think in 2016, I also considered Apple a strong buy because the price earnings ratio was 10 and mm-hmm. the stickiness to the iPhone was pretty strong. So we could calculate uh, those uh, free cash flows going forward. But now they made about 100 billion in profits last year. And the last quarter, it already started declining. And I think that, again, Wall Street an- analysts estimate continuous growth, but I think that people have now bought their iPhones and there will be at least a year or two years of a slowdown and that's not yeah. priced in the stock. Because if you look at the profits of 2019, it was 60 billion. And then we have two pandemic years where Apple made a hundred billion. And now will the base be the 100 billion or the 60 billion? Yeah. I'm more convinced that the base will be the 60 billion so that let's say 2023, 2024, they will make around 70, 80 billion all else equal. If there is a recession and also businesses spend less, they will make maybe 50, 60 billion. Mm. And 50, if they make 50 billion, the stock will be 50% lower. I see. Because because all of that less spending on buybacks, less investments in the S&P 500, all that will work then against the stock that is now working for the stock. I see. So at the P ratio of 25 or even closer to 30 now, I think Apple is uh, very, very expensive. And Warren can sell it because he cannot dump 5% of the company on the market. Yeah. He isn't that kind of person. Yeah, he's not a bit. He's never really been a big, big seller of stocks. Really, even with Coca Cola, he just kind of. Even if they seem to be uh, very expensive, selling for a really nice price, he just seems to just hold right. Uh, the businesses he likes, and he gets a big position in, and he knows that the business will likely be around for longer. If the stock price goes up, he doesn't tell when overvalued, but. 
if you look at his portfolio, he is usually selling nine out of his out of ten positions. So he buys something like Verizon, own owns it for six months a year, tests it, and then he understands it well, and then he sells it. So only one of 10, 15 stocks that he buys is a hold forever. The rest, everything is a sale. Does he just buy those stocks just to just to own them and then get a feel, just to understand them more? Is that the reason why he's buying? I think he likes something and he says, okay, let me start a new position. Let me open a position and then see how the management works, uh, how uh, the process goes. This is, I think, uh, mm. one of the value investors, Walter Schloss, from the same group that Warren Buffett went to school, always says you need to own a business or a stock to understand it. Yeah. If you don't own it, if you don't have that money connection, you simply miss the soft knowledge around the stock. And I think Buffett sticks to that. He buys, maybe he gets a connection with the management, understanding, mm. getting a feeling. He can call them up. If Buffett owns your business, You can. he can call them up at any time and yeah. you will answer the phone. And then he gets a feeling and if he, he's not happy, he says, okay, thank you, goodbye, and uh, goes forward. Do you do something similar? I remember in our last interview, you said you only kind of want to buy one stock over that's whatever why, period of time. Do you still buy? That's why I have this... Uh, demo portfolios. I opened right. an uh, interactive broker account with the million dollars that they give you as playing money. And then I buy all the businesses that I'm interested in. And then I follow them. I check, I buy a minimum position if it's overvalued, but I would like it lower. A medium position if I'm happy with a 10% return yeah. and a higher position if I think it's better and then i follow the stock prices and that stock price movement is also a factor in investing decision because okay why it's going down is mm. the market wrong is it not mm. and it gives you really great insights into the investment so for you demo works you don't need sort of physical money to be sort of more invested in it because buffett's using like real money right uh, I tried with I tried with uh, real money. I did that in 2020 and 2021. Mm. I opened a portfolio with real money, but the problem was I could not put a cent into the fifth or sixth stock. That goes against my nature. I put my money in the top three stocks that I own. Oh, I see. Okay, right. And then maybe later as it develops, I can have a portfolio to five, six, seven stocks. But I cannot put, okay, I have my top idea and I have my yeah. 11th idea. Oh, let's diversify and put into the 11th idea that goes against my core. So I had to do it in <laughs> really? demo version. And it works because... Uh, Google looked nice, everyone liked it. And then I said, okay, should I put it into my demo portfolio to follow it? And then when I had to pull the trigger, something told me not yet, Sven, because people follow on my research platform, maybe they follow this diversified portfolio. I said my goal was to make 10% with it from various strategies. And then I said, Google, not yet. Let's look for something better. And so it works. It has an impact for me too.
So I want to move on to Intel stock now because about a month, I don't know how long ago, maybe a month ago, you made a quite an interesting video on Intel that you thought there may be some potential fraud going on in the company. I think that was a stock that might be in your demo portfolio as well. Yes, yes, it is. It is. Uh, it is also publicly covered on my research platform, so you can read yeah. everything I uh, wrote about Intel. Now, yeah. fraud, mm. fraud. That was a nice YouTube title, but uh, Intel has focused on accounting to make it look better. So they have said, "Oh, look, our machines don't make any money, but we think the." value of these machines is not five years anymore it is eight years mm. and they lowered the cost of depreciation for four billion per year mm. just to make them not lose four billion in an accounting year but to be stable so they started focusing on accounting instead of their business and of course if a business is losing four billion or being at zero it looks much better in the it, if you're losing money, you look much worse for investors, and then the stock obviously follows. So mm. that was something that I'm. It's not fraud; it's legal. But I mm. think it's defrauding investors because it's not really showing the right picture. And your machines cannot be worth more if you're not making any money on them. Mm. I see. So when you sort of see something like this going on in a company, when they're doing like these little accounting changes, what do you think? Do you think, oh, okay, do you just write them off as an investment? You're like, okay, I don't want anything to do with these managers anymore. They seem to be not doing things in the best interest of shareholders, or do you give them a bit of leeway? Uh you implement what's going on into the risk and reward of the situation. Uh, yeah. So Intel was a dividend business, cash flow focused business, and then they hired a new CEO who was hired to please Wall Street two years ago. And then the presentation said Intel is the next growth story, how they will take back uh, their market share with ADM, NVIDIA and whatever. They will start the foundry business and everything, and they will be the next growth story. So that was what they were saying a year, two years ago in the great new presentations. Fast forward two years, revenues are down 50% and they are not making any more money. They're losing money. Mm. So... I find it very suspicious that the management didn't know something that something can turn or that Intel doesn't have the advantage it has in the product. So they are starting to do things just again to please the Wall Street trend. And Intel was at, I don't know, 50 when the CEO was hired. Then the stock went to 68. Mm. after these great presentations mm. and after what they said didn't materialize it went down to 24 25 and now it is in the 30s but and that's one then the second one was this accounting change oh we'll just throw it into one conference call next conference call everyone will already forget about it but we will improve net income the bottom line by 4 billion Mm. Of course, you have to focus on cash flows, but 
when someone clicks on the stock, he sees P ratio. Okay, they are profitable. Okay, so all these slight little things make me think that, okay, Intel is there trying to do its best, of course, but the management is also trying to play with Wall Street and please it, which right. means the next time they say something, I will be much more careful in assessing what they say. They say they will deliver this product by 2025. Will it be 2025 or 2027? Mm. That again changes the approach in the calculation of cash flows and everything because you can't trust them. And I was always saying Intel is, even the management says they will rebound, they will start growing for 2025. Yeah. And that's the time when you have to look at it. Therefore, it is, I think, with a small position in my demo portfolio. And then I look at it. And then if I can nail the upward trend in the industry, a rising tide will lift all boats, then maybe it will lift also Intel. But the more I follow them, the less I trust them. So even if we come to 2025, at this moment in time, with the three red flags that I already mentioned, mm. it's unlikely I will trust them. Mm. So basically, you would need to see a really good price on that for you to own that business, is it? I think we always discussed with this semiconductor industry and everything that you have to buy it for a margin of safety at 80% of book value. 80%. 80% of book value. I think it is uh, around 20 or something like that for Intel because they are investing a lot of money. They have invested 100 billion over the last five, six years into production, into everything. And yeah. the market cap is less than 100 billion. So there is some kind of book value or machinery value that gives you a margin of safety, no matter what the management does. And mm. that value will do well when there is an uptrend in the sector, which everyone expects to be 2024 and later. Uh -huh. So at some point, I feel there will be, Intel will be a good buy. But then it's again about waiting for that point. I see. And so when you say 80% of book value, what does that mean? So the price is um, below book value? Wait, 80? Yes, yes, yes. So uh, I think Intel's, yeah, Intel's book value, let's, and don't know the number by heart, but let's say it's uh, 100 billion. Yeah. The market capitalization, the stock value is now 120 billion. So if you want to buy it with minimizing the risk of loss, you have to buy it at 80 billion, let's say. I see, I see. And then, so that would also account for if their book value is a bit off, if it's overstated, if they struggle to sell some of those machinery. If there are some impairments or something yeah. like that, then always there uh, is some value in the business. Hmm, that's true. So just out of, I guess, the four stocks that we discussed, do you have a preference towards any of them right now or any that you just really dislike? I think Apple, you said, was... Apple is overvalued. Yeah. Because uh, I think the fair profits are a little bit lower. Uh, Google, again, risky from a growth perspective going forward, forward, even if the P ratio is lower. 
Facebook too expensive at 25. So, uh, but also risky from a business perspective because of the competition. Mm. And Intel, at some point it should be because this semiconductor cycle goes up and down. Nobody makes money now, does less investments, but the demand for these chips is always there. Mm. And if they can make a good product, a few good products, they should make money down the road. But mm. it is a highly competitive environment and therefore you can watch watch the book value and then you can double your money in a year or two years if you nail the right uh, mm. timing, but it is a complex one. One that I like that has an interesting, let's say, it's an interesting play in the environment that we didn't discuss is Amazon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if I would have to pick from the poor, I would pick Amazon because the market cap is $1 trillion now. With, and keep in mind, Apple has $2.5 trillion. Amazon is not focused on making profits, but they are investing $60 billion per year into their infrastructure. And nobody is, is doing that. Everybody, Facebook is investing in the metaverse. Google is investing in this or that. But only Amazon, nobody wants to compete with Amazon on that infrastructure, Amazon Web Services, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. One day, Amazon Web Services was down for a morning. And also my research platform was down because we are using, I didn't even know that we are using Amazon Web Services, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm thinking from an investing perspective, if you open a position now with Amazon and you say, okay, if it goes 30% down, you buy again. I'm thinking, what's the likelihood that Amazon trades for a longer time at 600, 700 billion. That is very, very unlikely because they are building a moat into their retail, into that everything that it will be very, very hard to take away because for Google, it's search. You find the tech engine that works better, ChatGPT and Microsoft, and this business erodes. For Amazon, it is logistics, delivery, mm. clicks, uh, Amazon Prime. It's an infrastructure that, that takes decades to build. Yeah. And then I'm thinking it's very, very unlikely that Amazon will trade for longer at below 1 billion, 1 trillion in market cap. So you can say, okay, from a portfolio perspective, I can start a position now medium position. If it goes lower, I can increase it. And then it's very likely when the market turns, it will be back to where it was. You can make take your profits on your lower buy and then just let it run because it has its cycles to the stock. And then you can simply let it run when the market gets exciting again. So from the four, I would pick a fifth, which is <laughs> An investing strategy trading on Amazon, if I have to pick from these tech businesses. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money, $60 billion into infrastructure. So is that the infrastructure for the web services mainly, or is that everything? Every, all of their, their businesses? They are spending on capital investments $60 billion a year. Apple is spending $70 billion a year on buybacks. Mm. Of course, the stock goes to the moon. 
Amazon doesn't care about their stock price and buybacks and profitability. They are just building, building, building that infrastructure. 60 billion. That would be a 6% dividend yield if they wouldn't spend that money. Mm. Yeah, the dividend investors would go crazy at that. Yeah, and Amazon would be a three trillion company if they would have a 6% dividend yield. Mm. Uh, so, so when you invest in uh, buybacks, so why does that make things look so much better to just regular investors? Is that just because like the earnings per share looks better and all of that? Earnings per share growth looks better and everything yeah. grows and the stock price goes higher. And as the stock yeah. price goes higher, everybody happy. Everybody wants to see that stock price yeah, yeah. go higher. You own more of the company. But the one mistake that the management is not allowed to think about is these buybacks, everything that has been spent crashes if there is one unprofitable year. Because if there is one unprofitable year, then there is no more earnings. Then all that buybacks, that the money you spent to grow those earnings per share are gone. You, it's wasted. So it works until the company is stably or growingly profitable. I see. If the profits stop, think of General Electric, great buyback company, yeah, then it gets very, very ugly and uh, hundreds of billions have been spent into nothing. Mm. You're practically rewarding the people that sell the stock to you because they bring the cash home. Mm. Nobody else until you sell. So at some point you have to sell if they don't if you don't think they will make money forever and you never know businesses go and uh, go away yeah well i guess some some people might say apple seems to be pretty pretty strong a great uh com- consumers love it they're stuck to apple but yeah i guess you never know for sure especially with tech I am also I am also using Apple to film my videos, so uh, I like it how it works and everything. But yeah. I've bought last year. I bought this one and it works uh, for my phone. I'm still using the old one, and I don't think I'll buy a new Apple for the next five years. Really? I don't need it as long as it works. Yeah. I'm happy. Yeah, I probably won't buy one for the next probably two years or one, maybe at least at least one year. I'll say that. Same with the Mac. I like the new Mac, MacBook Pro. I'll, I'll keep it for at least one to two years. But I'm also more, I generally would be more inclined to keep up with things. A lot of people won't. Like my dad, he just holds his phone for like at least five years at least. Yeah. So it is about, and then you never know who will come next. Maybe somebody will make, oh, look, this is cheaper, better, faster, yeah. cooler. Because we are people, we like to change Oh, yeah. oh, it feels good to have something else. Oh, I'm tired of, I am using Apple for a decade now. Let's try something else. And uh, yeah. consumer preferences are a very, very difficult business. That's also a factor in the auto automotive industry. Yes, cars are nice, but you make one make, it works. And five years down the road, maybe it will be something else. So uh, mm. Maybe always talking about those competitive advantages. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I see, uh, I think it was Samsung or one of those companies, they just released a new flip phone, <laughs> which was what people were doing 10 years ago, the flip phone, the flip phone, and now it's just come back into fashion. So very hard to predict. Yeah, that's right. So what do you think about this, this, what's been going on with interest rates and, you know, just the massive shoot up in interest rates and how does that change, change your strategy if it does change your strategy at all? in particular with regards to owning cash compared to cash and bonds compared to stocks? I think it doesn't change my strategy because I'm, my strategy is based on the next 20, 30 years. And I know that on the long term, it's better to own businesses. And the cash I have is always there for opportunities. So I hope to deploy it so I don't really uh, take it too much into consideration. But Interest rates are now at 5%, I think, in the US, a little bit lower in Europe, but it's still stimulative because if you have inflation at 8% or 6% or something like that, inflation is still above interest rates. So you can say that it's still a stimulative environment because you can... Uh, you have to spend your money because if not, you are still losing it on inflation. So mm -hmm. when interest rates get above inflation, that would make the trick, but nobody wants to do it. So they can push it higher as long as they are below inflation. Mm -hmm. And the market expects that inflation will go down, we will go back to the 2010s of 2% inflation, and that interest rates will go then again down to 2%, 1% or zero. That is what is priced in, in the market now. So the financial engineering, money printing, low interest rate environment still works. And uh, if it works forever, great. We just, every banking issue that we have, we just print a billion or trillion here and uh, we solve every everyone's problem nobody goes bankrupt ever uh, even the swiss did that with credit swiss every swiss person gives 13000 of printed swiss francs and uh, that's the solution for how long will that last i don't know we have had a peak of inflation now now it's slowing down i expect that we will have higher inflation for a decade or two and that will then be the solution for the debts and everything. But uh, if you have money, you better invest it in productive assets than to just watch the money. So when you say high inflation, what around what do you think it may be at? It doesn't matter. Even just two years or what we had the last two years with inflation at 6 8% for two years, that's already huge. That means you... If you were saving money, you lost 15% of your purchasing power. 15% of your retirement yeah, fund yeah, purchasing yeah. power is gone. That's huge, but nobody thinks about it. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, it's inflation. You don't feel it. You look at your million, it's still a million. Okay, but that million can buy you just 850000 You mm -hmm. don't feel it. You don't grasp that concept. So yeah. if we have 2% or 3% this year, Next, next year, 2%, and then in 2025, 6%, and 2026, 7% inflation, that's already huge compared mm. to the last 10 years. So the one of the best ways to go about things is just to 
own assets that produce things. Is that is that right? That's it. And uh, that's the only thing that worked over the last 100 years. Every currency lost 95% of its purchasing power. Currencies are made to lose value because that's just an extra tax that you don't think about. Oh, yeah, 2% a year, you don't feel it. But mm. the government gets 2 3% more income, uh, tax, the debts are paid off easier and everything. So that's the system we live in. And the only thing that works as a protection is investing in productive assets. Mm. That can be a house that gives you shelter or rent, which mm. is productive. That can be businesses that hopefully grow and do better. So, and that's the only thing we can do. And then the next step is the price you pay gives you a better protection. If you buy something on the cheap, you're much better protected than paying high prices, high valuations. And then you watch the cycle and then you're back to value investing that works forever. And that's it. <laughs> I see. And what do you think about the people that say, well, gold is gold is one of the good ways to get now to, to protect yourself from inflation and all of this printing of money and devaluing of the cash that a lot of people, their answer is gold and silver. I think that uh, there is this chart that gives you the purchasing power of $1 invested uh, 100 years into gold. The purchasing power is still $1. Oh, really? $1 invested into businesses is $2,000. Yeah. Yeah. So gold is very interesting for those that make money selling and buying gold. So all of those that promote gold, for example, on YouTube, have a business that yeah. makes money when you buy and sell, when you trade that gold. You can buy gold from them at the fee, you can store it, you can this. The mm. business around that is in the storage and in the fees of managing that gold ETF or something like that. Because gold is not a productive asset. It doesn't produce anything. It will likely protect your $1 and still keep that $1 of purchasing power, but you miss the 2000 upside from owning businesses that grow. Yeah. Yeah, from a long-term historical perspective, I mean, it's, it's obviously stocks are a much smarter way of doing things. And that's why I've always been way more into stocks and talking about stocks and buying stocks myself. But yeah, <laughs> I do see even on Twitter and stuff, there's a lot of people who have just their accounts about gold, gold, gold. And, that's and all they need it and they need to promote it crazily because the only way they can make money is to find someone who can pay more for that. If people say, oh, gold is just a piece of metal that's worthless, they lose everything. They yeah. lose their gold value. They lose their uh, careers, their everything. So if you decide, okay, I'm going to be a gold bug, you can create a great niche here on YouTube and make a lot of money. If I, when I started six years ago, if I had decided, okay, I'm going to analyzing just gold mining and silver companies, and then have that, maybe I would even be making more money now than what I make with what I do. Mm. Because there is this interest 
there is not a lot of following, so it's a specific niche. Yeah. Hmm. And, yeah, it's a nice and when you choose that but... niche, is you have to stick to it. You cannot change. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I couldn't see myself doing that personally. I wouldn't wouldn't like it. And yeah, you just gotta think what what's best for the actual like the watches themselves and where they put their, their money and. If you just look from a long-term perspective, it's, it's stocks. Stocks stocks have returned the highest percentage over time. Real estate's good too, right? Which I think last time I checked, they were around the same or whatever. Of course, it depends where. But uh, real estate, then it's different. If you buy a stock, you own a business and you don't have to do anything about it. True, yeah. If you own real estate... You either learn how to fix toilets or you have to hire <laughs> people to do that for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. If you hire people, you need to learn how to manage people. So yeah. it is, uh, it requires more, let's say, work than uh, investing in stocks. Yeah. And people always tell me, oh, yeah, you just get a, um, a manager to manage your house. But even still, the manager will call you saying, oh, this is wrong here. You need to pay this for this. Your washing machine is broken. But they think, oh, yeah, you just pull the manager and this yeah, game. Yeah, because you need a good manager. Yeah, yeah. And yes, a good manager can't wait to come to work for a novice real estate investor like you. <laughs> he he doesn't have anything to do. He's waiting on, he's knocking on your door. Sorry, can I manage your one apartment, sure. five apartment property? A good manager is already managing apartment buildings of hundreds of houses mm -hmm. for very rich people. So uh, yeah. it's not that easy to hire a manager. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I remember I think Warren Buffett got asked a similar question. They're like, oh, why don't you have sort of more houses? And he said that he knows some of his friends who own five houses and they've basically become a hotel manager. Like that's that's their job now. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. And you have, and then if the manager says, okay, I'm working for this prick, why don't I do the same job for myself and make this both the same money? Mm, true. And then he resigns. Then you have to find a new manager. It's yeah, not yeah. that easy. It is. It is a job. True. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to ask yourself if you want to spend your time doing that or something else. So yeah. uh, it is a job. People forget about it, but you get also paid for your time there. Mm. Anyway, I want to thank you very much for your time. I'm not sure how long we've been going. Feels like, yeah, about one hour. And uh, one hour, perfect. yeah, it's good to catch up with you and uh, see all your thoughts on these different stocks. And I know we only we went over the sort of more talked about ones, but it is interesting to go over it and just, just see your perspective. And yeah, just thank you for your time again. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy chatting with you and uh, I'm looking forward to the next chat. Okay, perfect. Maybe in a couple months or something like that. Sure. Okay, easy. All right, goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, please let me know. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review as it means a lot to me. Thank you, and I'll be speaking to you in the next episode.